you're listening to Everything Starts Small, a podcast that explores the lives of impact-driven leaders who had an idea and decided to bring it to life. We all have to start somewhere, and through their stories of beginning, we hope to ease our fear of starting with the simple notion that everything starts small. Hey everyone, welcome back to Everything Starts Small. Uh, Today I have a very special episode as I've been just working to to get out and to meet more people that not only share um, this incredible perspective of a of a uh, more connected, unified world, but also are doing some incredible things um, out in our ecosystem, specifically around design. And today I have Omari with us. Omari Sauza, thank you for being here, brother. Uh, thank you for just joining me. How you doing today? Oh, not too bad, sir. Yourself? Thank you for having me. Oh man, I, it's a pleasure, man. Last week we did a actually Instagram live together and just started to get to know each other and get to know you know who you are and, and what you're all about, and it all stemmed from just a quick conversation um, that we were connected and and I got to learn so much about you, your career, but also about what you're attempting to do when it comes to Black design. And building an ecosystem around Black designers to make it more, them more accessible from from corporations, but also make those corporations more accessible to them. And this idea of building bridges is something that I think is so powerful, and why I'm very excited to just to get to know you and 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 dive into that more. Um, so I would love, man, just for you to start by just sharing, you know, what you're up to today um, at Texas State. And and really, just how you're spending your day right now? Like, what's the, what's the biggest things on your plate at the moment? Uh, the biggest things today on my plate is uh, really, really, really just uh, planning and trying to polish this uh, event that's coming up uh, really quickly. Uh, trying to uh, promote, get the word out that we're we're attempting to build these bridges, uh, open up these opportunities for other designers of color. Um, really doing a lot of the advocacy work that a lot of people have been asking for for a long time and uh and make those make those opportunities available to designers of color that look like you and I. Yeah, and that event Black Design Past Present Future. Tell me tell us some more about that. Like how did that how did that idea come to be and and, and now that we're what less than 2 weeks away from it, uh you know, how, how what's that journey been like for you? So so tell us about the event and and what's that bit journey been like for you up until this point? Uh, it's been, it's kind of been a whirlwind, <laughs> to be honest. So we started by doing uh, the State of Black Design, which came out last September. Um, and it was really uh, a response to this American racial awakening, which for the Black community, it wasn't an awakening. We've, we've kind of been aware of things that have been going on for years. Uh, but it was an opportunity for us to kind of deal with uh, this topic of of design and the intersection of race. I know for myself and several other practitioners, one thing that we felt was that the the field not only was very um, homogenous, but also was very apolitical. So a lot of the issues that were going on in the world, it never really um, addressed or touched on or showed empathy to what we were dealing with. So for me, it sparked this idea of now is the perfect time to open this conversation and build a safe space where black designers can have this conversation. Um, the yeah. events uh, I intended to have, you know, maybe a hundred, 200 people watch. And when I placed uh, bright page up after, you know, coalescing a few of my good design friends, 
we had close to 4,000 people register for the event um, and wow. over 2,000 people that watched live. So to me, it communicated that there is a demand for this type of conversation and a demand for these, uh, these voices. Um, so I quickly began considering doing a follow-up event the, the next semester. And um, after speaking to a mentor of mine, uh, Cheryl Miller, Dr. Cheryl Miller, she told me not to continue conversations only, but have conversations and present some solutions because um, we've mm. been talking for too long and we need people with platforms that are going to try to do something to, to kind of push the needle. So my hope was to, you know, gather companies that have been reaching out to me and companies that have been saying they appreciated the discussion and desperately wanted to know tips on how to diversify their, um, their, their workforce. Um, and connect them to designers that contacted me afterwards saying, you know, I'm a design aspirant and I would love to get into the, the field. I also wanted to do something that would assist, you know, black designers that wanted to go to academia or wanted to get into college but didn't have the resources. So um, black design past, present, and future came along. Um, the career fair that we're hosting uh, aims to connect a thousand designers of color with uh, employers that are looking for them, whether they be entry level, lateral or vertical moves in their career, or even um, externships, internship opportunities. Um, the fair is, I mean, the events completely is free uh, for people to attend. Um, but the revenue we make from sponsorships and donations um, all go, go towards uh, scholarship funding to assist you know, black students that are interested in um, formal training and, and, and you know, academia. Uh, the, the, the thought process between past, present, and future um, was really this, this, this um, idea of doing an event that paid, uh, paid respect to our ancestors or, or the pioneers within our field that came before us, um, paying respect to designers that are currently doing amazing things, such as yourself, as well as, you know, looking towards the future. What does the future look like for us? Yeah. Um, you also have a, a section of the event right the diaspora um, where it's really an opportunity for us all to gather um, designers of color from different sections of the, you know, the slave trade route and um, having them talk about what design and design aesthetics look like for them. Because, you know, I'm, I'm sure um, expressions of blackness in the UK and expressions of blackness in Canada and the United America, as well as in the Caribbean. So it gives us an opportunity to kind of explore a bunch of these themes all within one weekend. Man, so much, so much there to, to build off of. First off, thank you for doing what you're doing, man. Um, just a response, right? Taking action and creating this event where you had these expectations that were blown out of the water because of the desire and the need and the demand for intentional conversations for Black people, people of color, or people in general to focus on this conversation of being Black in design, right? Um, I know for me, that's a big conversation that I have to have with myself every single day, um, let alone having that with others that surround me, my team, my, my mentor, my, my, my family, you know, it's, it's a, it's a constant conversation, but us taking action, you taking action last year led now to a evolution of that first response. And with your mentor say, Hey, let's talk about solutions, reflection on the past right? Projection into the future, right? Creating that hope 
um, creating that vision to work towards. Um, I think that's I think that's beautiful. And I want I would love to hear more about how when you have the first event with State of Black Design, um, I found that I know for me and I'm and I know from others in terms of conversations is building those bridges is not easy, specifically from you know academia to corporations, um, maybe freelance designers to corporations, um, and and those people that may not have access to those those types of connections. Right. And you said that there was there were people that reached out to you after that first event, the state of black design, um, that you were able to maintain those conversations and build off of that momentum to then translate that work into now this event where you're now working for a specific goal of connecting a thousand designers of color color to jobs. Right. Very specific goal, which is which is awesome. Um Talk to me more about how that like building those bridges has went for you because you now have a, a sponsor, IBM, sponsoring this entire event. It's not a small sponsor, right? On top of that, other ones. Talk to me more about that. Um, <clears throat> I think uh, the the first thing for me when it comes down to to building bridges was uh, an intentionality of connecting with people that are doing the same type of work and finding my tribe. Mm. Um the uh the initial idea wasn't uh for me to build a bridge with anybody for the sake of getting anything out of it but it was more so with me connecting with people that i felt were doing things that were of interest to me um i've i've had the opportunity of meeting other black um academics and professionals that are in the industry that are also championing for racial equity um some you know uh like uh, Mitzi from Where the Black Designers, Heather from Black Ignite, uh, Teresa Moses, uh, Dr. Leslie Ann Noel, um, another mentor of mine. Um, you know, there, 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 there are a ton of people that I've had the uh, the ability to 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 meet and connect with. Um, so Marie, who's been long, a long, uh, long time friend of mine and also a mentor. Um, who've, you know, shared their connections with me, past uh, people by me who they felt could, you know, help grow me and grow the work that I was doing long before I ever thought of doing an event. Um, the, 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 the ability to coalesce uh, a group of voices that are very poignant uh, in, in, in the larger discussion um, is kind of a reflection of um, that, that, that initial thought process of, of trying to find a tribe and, and, and trying to build a strong support system as you guys each fight for a particular thing. Yeah. So now when people are reaching out to me and saying, hey, you know, I'd, I'd love to do this or I'd love to connect with people. If you know them that are doing A, B, C, and D, it's, it's due to me doing the initial work of attempting to reach people and build these relationships early on, um, but not from the sake of getting something from them, from the sake of us all working together as, as a team and supporting one another in our initiatives. And um, Maurice uh, Cherry is another one uh, that, that I know you know and have been working with with Vision Path podcast. And, and you, just, you, just, you just synthesize it so well, this idea of building, building a tribe of people that are, that are working towards a common goal, all right? um, that see a better future specifically in design also, right? Because um, I know for me, and I'm, I'm just tying this back to me as, a, as just a, maybe a case study, being Black in design has been very, very isolating for me, 
right? I was, you know, and this is where we're going to go next, Amari. I, you know, I was the only one in my graduating class. And when I got my master's of architecture, only per black person, I was the only one in my firm being black. And, and it was very hard for me to find other black designers, specifically for me as I was going on on my journey. It wasn't until I started to be intentional and said, hey, I'm going to find my tribe. And I say that my very specific intention this year was to get out and find that tribe in the Black community, Black design, and also make sure that I wasn't silent and I was sharing my perspective just in case there were other people like me that were that felt isolated because they didn't have that community surrounding them. Since then, man, I found you and all those people that you just mentioned in you know, less than a few months. And next thing you know, all the buzz is just now it's like it's like a whirlwind like i'm just surrounded by just incredible initiatives voices connections so on and so forth so it's like you kind of tap this tap this this gold mine of 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 incredible people who are working towards this common goal so that's why when you articulate it that way it was it that's how it's been for me just in the past you know first part of this year yeah and I think uh, I think to the point that you're making too, um, connecting it back to the idea of building bridges. Um, building bridges is only a thought process for people that need to be connected from one point to the next. So this mm -hmm. idea of being isolated um, is a key is a key part of that. Um, similar to you, when I graduated, I was the only black male in my program, um, my five year program, um, at the Cleveland Institute of Art, and you know, that isolation that I felt while I was going to undergrad, um, I felt like I needed to find some other people of color because it was, it was, it was so heavy being the only person. Um, I needed someone to, to, to assist me, um, both for my mental, emotional security while, while, while going through that process yeah. and also to bounce ideas off of. Um, so, uh, learning to survive on your own or, or, or wanting to, to, to establish community with other people and, and be a support or mentor to other people that are coming up after you um, were, were vital, you know, muscles that I needed to flex and exercise um, during that time process that assisted me in building um, the connection with, with the folks that I've been able to connect with now. Mm. So we now have a nice little present picture of, of your journey. I want to go back because it was perfect. It's a perfect segue. Let's go back to um, maybe even, you know, before you were at the Cleveland Institute of Art, um, when you, did you feel that same isolation? And I, if you did, I would love to talk about that. Let's go back to maybe the beginning of your design career, being in design and really understanding how much design was a part of your life. If you had to say a time when that started, um, when when would have that started for you? Um, really early on in my life. Uh, I'm first generation American. My family's from Jamaica, and um, I had a cousin. So my generation, to preface, is the first generation within my family to go to college. Um, I had a cousin named mm -hmm. Neville, who's ten years my senior, and um, Neville was extremely influential um, in the person I am today and who I you know wanted to be growing up. And he was a designer. So he graduated from college when I was in the sixth grade. And um, I, I knew at that point in time that I was gonna go to college and I was gonna major in what he majored in. Um, it was really different growing up in New York and then transitioning to Cleveland, Ohio 
for various reasons, one of which was the level of diversity that I got a chance to experience while at my institution. Um, now, while Cleveland itself has a, a healthy Black community and a healthy Hispanic community, the college I went to did not. Um, I think I was one of five when I started, um, one of two when I graduated, and of that two, I was the only male graduating from the five-year program. Mm. And there was a, another female named Taylor, who I believe was from Florida. Um, for me, uh, it was the first time I got to experience what it felt like to be other, because I just grew up in a community where there were so much people that looked like me, or so many brown people in general that you never really felt out of place um but yeah college it was it was completely different and some of the things that were being said especially considering i was the first black person that some of my 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 college you know uh counterparts met um completely floored me and um i didn't know how to respond so um other than responding out of anger so having that support system and then kind of learning um, how to deal with these things or, or, or having heirs to vent to or people to bounce ideas off of, especially in terms of project and schoolwork, um, was really beneficial uh, for me at that time. Yeah. Mm. So you, what, what college, when you, when you speak about that, what college were you speaking about specifically? Uh, that- Cleveland Institute of Art. Cleveland Institute of Art, and then you also spent yeah. time at, at Kent State. Right? Yes, sir. Was it yes, sir. was a very similar experience for you there? Not at all. Uh, I loved my experience at Kent State. I mean, um, there were other. So it was different for a number of reasons. I thought the professors were a lot more supportive of the work that I wanted to do. Um, they poured a lot more into me uh, than my experience as an undergrad. Um, not while there weren't many black graduate students, uh, there were a handful while I was there. Um, there were graduate students from other countries. Uh, yeah. One of my good friends, Hamid, uh, was from Iran. Um, he and I took a lot of classes together. I had friends from China that I took classes with and they were able to kind of expand my, my perspective. So although um, I don't want to say half the class, the ha- half the class wasn't black um, or, or anything like that. It was still yeah. maybe two or three of us there was still enough diversity for me to feel enriched by um, the other bodies that were there. Um, And for the students that weren't of color, um, they were also uh, more exposed people as well. So it wasn't like I I was the first black person that any of my classmates met. It was, it was was a completely different feel. Yeah. Mm. So you talked about, thank you for sharing all that with me, by the way. Um, No problem. You talk about this idea of, of being the only, um, not only the only black person in the class, but being the only black person that some of your classmates have ever even met. Um, yeah. And now you're not only carrying the understanding of you learning how to operate in that type of space, but also maybe even helping others operate in that type of space and helping them understand, um, which tends to be something that falls on the shoulders of being the only, right? Um, Because you carry that responsibility of of onlyness, whether you see it as a responsibility or you see it as a burden, it's still something that has to be carried, right? Um, I, I, I know that that's been something I've dealt with, but I would love to hear from your perspective, the weight of onlyness 
especially in a field like design that is where you pour your whole self into it and you have to um, not only pour yeah. your whole self but also have to empathize with the systems and the people that you are designing for um, there's a lot of emotional labor that goes into that but specifically like dealing with onlyness in that space would you would you share a little bit about you know maybe an experience or or how that how that affected you during that time oh man i have so many <laughs> um there was an experience i had uh again being the only black person growing up in new york being a big fan of hip-hop um there were music i listened to that i i didn't know whether or not some of my other classmates would listen to um so we had a study hall or a studio space where you'd be able to go to and and, and perform uh, work that you were doing for a particular class. I decided I was going to wake up early on a particular day and work um, for as long as I could before other students came in because I wanted to be comfortable and I was going to listen to the music I wanted to. Um, I was listening to The Roots and um, I believe the song at the time was like Seed uh, 2.0, which was mm. basically a song about, you know, the birth of rock and roll uh, and its descendancy from the blues. Um, as I'm playing the song and playing other other tracks off of that Roots album, um, other students start coming in. And once I start noticing that they're coming in in numbers, um, I let everybody know, like, hey, I was here first, but if this music makes anybody feel uncomfortable, I can I can change it. Um, I was reassured that, no, 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 we like this. Um, so I was like, okay, no problem. Um, I begin to let my hair down a little bit. And um, one of the students comes over to me ask who the artist is and i tell them who the artist is and then the response is you know oh man i really love this music but i don't know if i can relate because i've never been shot so none of the music had anything to do with being shot none of the music had anything to do with any type of violence mm. violent altercations but there was an immediate perception of rap music black artists criminality um you know not being able to relate uh, due to not being of color and not mm. being a criminal. Um, so my immediate response at the time, uh, just out of sarcasm was, well, I've never been shot either, but you know, I am black. Um, just to kind of illuminate how silly, you know, the statement was. But that, that experience for me um, kind of exposed the fact that being the only one, I wasn't just navigating the space in the same sense that my my white colleagues were i was navigating the space and also their perception of what blackness was um yeah. and for them many of them have only experienced blackness through a music video or through news clippings of, of something that may have happened in their area um and that that became the additional weight i mm -hmm. i needed to do something that that expanded that perspective of them uh not not of them but of 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 me and 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 of what black people could be especially um to 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 keep them comfortable with my presence being there mm. and for context i don't i don't think many people understand what studio means um in the educational sense because not every degree has to, has to you know go to studio I understand what studio means. Why don't you explain studio to people from a contextual perspective of, of why it matters 
that you're announcing yourself when people show up and get in there early and how long you spend there. Because that is a dynamic that is exclusively to the design field or, you know, other professional um, uh, programs like medical, you know, so on and so forth. But design, you spend countless amount of time with people. Share, share a little bit about the studio context. Yeah. So a studio is a small communal space given to uh, design or art students to work on a particular project. Um, so usually within a studio space, the resources that you need to complete a task are already there. So if you're a painter or a drawer, your easel boards are there. Um, your benches are there for drawing uh, or painting. Sometimes if you have a life, like a, you're doing a life drawing or a life painting, um, your props are there that you're, that you're drawing or painting. So you can typically be there for anywhere from an hour to eight, maybe 12 hours. Um, there've been days in studio spaces, especially at the foundations level where I've gone close to 24 hours within one particular room trying to complete a project. Mm -hmm. So getting there early, um, and then getting comfortable enough to complete projects is extremely important. Um, so a lot of times I would try to get there before my my colleagues just because, you know, being the only person um, and being different, uh, you know, being a kid from New York City um, who looked at the way that I looked and dressed the way that I look at that time um, would also add to me, you know, any anxiety that I felt about being the only black person in the room at the time. Yeah, because it because it becomes kind of like your own studio until everybody till other people start to show up and now you're sharing it and it becomes communal, which everybody's energy, everybody's vibe starts to mix. Um, however, when you're there early, you can start to set the vibe and have people start to maybe you know adapt or adjust to your vibe or you know maybe shut the vibe down and hit you know maybe they're having a bad day and they just throw the boombox against the wall you know that may happen in studio also <laughs> but it's it's really interesting hearing you explain it as as a professor right because you know i've i've only been a studio uh, or students in studio and architecture studio was very similar in the way that you you shared all right, we would all be there. Most of our classes were there. Um, Twenty-four hours is a is could be a very you know typical stint for people um, that worked there that had to develop their projects. So you explaining it from a professor standpoint, also now that you've been a student, you are a professor. You're teaching designers. You know, you you have a well-rounded perspective of this of this this experience that takes place in studio that is uniquely you know, design focused, right? And I want to bring up a quote because I think it ties so well with what you just shared that I found on your on your um, your spotlight for new faculty uh, on Texas State's website, right? It says, while many of my classmates prepared for classes by packing or unpacking their supplies, I had to unpack and navigate the weight of my blackness in a homogeneous space. Share with me a little bit more about that quote. That quote was uh, inspired by uh, the invisible, my reading of The Invisible Knapsack and then me contemplating how I would correlate that with my experiences in undergrad. And The Invisible Knapsack was a book that talked about uh, white privilege and the things that you can do as a white student that you couldn't do if you were a person of color. Mm. And when considering um, the studio space, or the classroom setting for my fellow white students, um, not my fellow white students, but my white colleagues and myself, um, their ability to navigate that space was completely different than my own. 
um, in many cases, even walking to and from a studio space was completely different than my own. Um, Cleveland Institute of Art and Case Western Reserve University, for example, bordered East Cleveland, which was uh, considered the hood uh, to some. And security was notorious for pulling students to the side. Um, yeah. Me being me being one of those students. So me even going from my dorm to uh, a, a PM class could be me being pulled over simply for being a black student that the police officer was unfamiliar with. Um, yeah. Again, navigating my navigating and unpacking my blackness. Um, yeah, to people being unfamiliar with that. Um, me being in a particular space and then being microaggressed for, um, you know, my hair at the time I had a big Afro, um, and, you know, uh, I had a professor who asked me to cut my hair for extra credit, um, you know, wow. to, in order to get an A for a particular assignment, um, a proposition that wasn't offered to other students. Um, so there, there were, there were a number of these things where I was put in this position where I had to, um, you know, there was even a student who put a noose on my dorm room door. Mm. Um, so it's like, it's, it's me, uh, me not coming to a space with my main focus simply being, I'm going to do the best that I can to get the grades that are necessary, but it's me trying to figure out how can I get the best grades that I can potentially get while also, um, safely navigating, um, the, 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 the obstacle of their perception of my blackness. Um, so that, that, that was the inspiration for that quote. So much, so much to unpack there, man. So I, you know, as you know, I, I grew up in Cleveland. Um, I grew up in a, uh, all Italian neighborhood, uh, where Italian flags were spread all over the neighborhood and, you know, Catholic church at the top of the street, um, you know, predominantly white neighborhood. Um, but mostly poor white um, because it was inner city, right? And as as you just mentioned, East Cleveland, right? Poor black, West Cleveland, poor white, Hispanic, right? Um, and that's typical of most urban environments, right? Is you can see the sides of the center line of downtown and you typically know where the black people are and where the other, um, you know, I guess urban uh, minorities are when urban majorities are. So as you as you communicate this, man, I I can literally picture myself on those streets of East Cleveland at Case Western Reserve because my sister went there for school, um, and I was a young kid when she went there, and I got to go and hang out at her dorm. So I know the area very well, and that since then, since we were in school, it's gentrified more than you could, you know, maybe even imagine, right? It's completely different. And and the the thing you just mentioned about being pulled over just on your way to class is something that's unique to urban urban fabrics, um, urban institutions, urban colleges and universities. When you're in Kent State, which is completely rural, is the only institution in that city, right? It's not as um, prevalent because typically you're going, they know you're a student. Racial profiling, um, take place there. Yes, 100%, but it's not the same as if you were in the urban fabric where you do have a lot of that urban influence, um, from downtown Cleveland and downtown Cleveland back when we went to school was not, uh, the best place 
to be, to say the least. Um, I grew up in the 90s there. um, And there was a lot of gang violence, a lot of, um, I want to say, poverty, right? And Cleveland as a you know, in the 90s was not a good decade for Cleveland, to say the least. So thank you for unpacking that for me and for everyone listening, because it's really most people don't understand what navigating the weight of my blackness in a homogeneous space, especially when you are first generation going to school, attempting to achieve something that you know, you may have never been able to navigate before or have no point of reference, right, before. Um, it's not easy, let alone putting the time, being in studio, putting in the hours, right, exploring your creativity, exploring your emotions, exploring your unique perspective, while also having to navigate the structures that are surrounding you. So the structures and the systems that surround you are the thing that I, I feel like is is happening right now. So you just gave us some insight into maybe some of those moments that led to you doing what you're doing right now with Black Design, Past, Present, Future, the state of Black Design, the work that you're doing with Texas State, the work that you're doing with Black Ignite and and Revision Path and, and um, where, um, you know, all these organizations that are leading to empower black designers like you went through that right and those moments where somebody put a puts a noose on your door um you know very similar to uh just other places of onlyness we saw that in nascar recently in the past few years of you know when you are the only in a space it's not just show up and do your thing and leave like you have to navigate so much more and what is it safe to say that that was some of the early moments of you realizing how important it was that you were doing this work and leading these communities um building these bridges so that nobody else maybe had to do go through the same thing that you went through yeah yeah um wholeheartedly i think um the, the the thing that's funny about being the only person is that for the people that uh, that see you, um, especially in a space that is used to you not showing up in large numbers, you're even though you're supposed to be an equal to other people, you're not treated that way. You're treated as a guest. Um, so if I if I revisiting the the point of structure, um, if I, as a guest, complain about something that's happening, that's being done by the people that view this as their home, Mm. um, a lot of times it becomes a measure game. Uh, Should we do this and advocate or champion for this cause that Omari is uh, vocalizing being the only person, or should we address these 10 or 12 students that he's having an issue with? Because it would be a quicker fix to adjust Omari than to adjust these 12 students. Um, so for me, finding that community and then, you know, attempting to, to build my own home, um, if I'm being treated as a guest in someone else's, um, was extremely beneficial for me. Um, because once you have your own home, you don't have to worry about the priority of the seating you have at the table, at someone else's table. You're, you're building your own space and then allowing uh, space for other people that are coming in. Mm. And if I can continue to build a larger table for other people, um, 
I know that there are other students that won't have to feel as alienated as someone else's at someone else's table as I did when I was an undergrad. Um, I know that there'll be a secure place for them. And I think in, in reality, this is all anybody ever wants, like a place to belong and, and, and an opportunity to know that once I'm there, you know, I can, mm-hmm. I can, I can have, you know, I won't have to worry about having any additional um, things to unpack than my fellow classmates. Um, I think the one thing that separates uh, design and other creative fields from, you know, uh, studying engineering or uh, a lot of other majors is, is is the fact that a lot of this is very internal subjective materials. Yeah. Um, being a creative um, involves a lot of introspective explorations and 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 external expressiveness that that comes from uh, everything that's internal. And if uh, if I don't have the space um to kind of you know explore these issues um or explore myself um if i'm if i'm battling and unpacking added weight it it it's a hindrance um it 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 it'll it'll hinder me from being able to 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 authentically express myself mm. and it may build additional anxiety especially if what i'm attempting to express um in my portfolio or as a professional happens to be with the, the, the same uh, source material that led to my alienation um, in my undergraduate or, or uh, person, personal uh, livelihood while, while I was going to undergrad. Mm. Um, so these bridges are important for those, those reasons as well. Like if I can assist a company in diversifying their workspace, I know that there are a number of those employees that won't feel alienated being there. If I can give people insights on how to build an equitable and safe space for their, the employees that they're attempting to, to attract, I know that it could be beneficial for someone of color, um, of, of, of any color uh, coming into the workspace. Um, and if I can assist that you know, with, with raising funding so that students of color can attend at the academic level, um, whether they want to come back as professors or not, it also begins to create uh, more safe spaces overall for people of color. Man, this is um, this is a, co- a conversation that needs to happen more. Um, you said you said by building the bridges, what you're doing is you're helping you know invite other people into a safe space that you created. All right, it's not about hey, let me into your space. Let's create our own space so that we can also invite other people into our fabric of belonging. Right. Um, that belonging, you're speaking my love language now, Mari, because belonging is this is this thing that that is in is so important to create community, period. Right. If you don't have belonging, you don't have community. So if you have a space where you're the only and they're not you and them are not working together to make sure that you feel like you belong, then community doesn't exist there. It's actually just a structure that's created institutional structure that does not allow you to bring your whole and full self, that authentic expression. And that's actually really spot on what you're saying, because I think that that's what we're feeling right now. And you can agree with me um, or not. I feel like we're in this we're in this black renaissance of design where specifically black, black renaissance in general, where we're able to express ourselves completely, fully and authentically, which if you take the renaissance Back in, you know, uh, a long time ago, you know, Italy, um, you know, Florence, 
um, you know, the middle, the 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 um, the 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 time of of complete expression, right? I feel like there's something happening right now, and there's that energy that's taking place right now for us to express ourselves completely, but without community, without belonging, it's very hard to do that. And I feel like that's what you're really pushing to create right now, and and I think there's some incredible energy that's taking place to allow black designers specifically to say, hey, bring your full self and creating space for not just the outliers, maybe like you and I, but those people that may not have the same opportunities that you and I had, right? To actually overcome and get through the loneliness, to come out the other side. And now it's time to, for us as leaders, as people that have gone through it, to create that space of belonging, that fabric, that structure of belonging for the black design industry in general, right? It's beautiful, man. It's just incredible when you bring it all together. Yes, sir. I um I have a good friend of mine. Her name is Ophelia. And um Ophelia is a jack of all trades. And we worked on a project in Jamaica a couple of years ago where she lives. And I remember, um, I want to say we were in Negril. We were either in Negril or Ocho Rios. And um, we were talking about growing up um, she grew up on the island, of course. I grew up, you know, to a Jamaican family in the United States. And she was telling me that while she was growing up uh, in a very agriculturally rich space, every one of her siblings and everyone in the family was in charge of growing something that could be um, consumed. Mm. Um, we were we were talking about, at the time, a drink I really like called sorrel because she grew uh, sorrel plants. And, um, you know, the metaphor was the the story was really rich to me and i've used it as a metaphor for my my professional life ever since because it's this idea that you know as an individual there's but so much that you can grow um you might be able to feed yourself for for a bit but in reality if everyone brings something to the table then that's when that diet becomes a bit richer and when that diet becomes a, li- a bit more diverse yeah. so building that table and then you know considering to yourself what is it that i can grow um, that I can bring and feed the people that are at this table um, is, 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 is something I've been holding on to. So even now as a professional, when I'm going, you know, I would love to connect with this person. I would love to bring this person to the table. And I know that they're growing something and I'm growing something too. We can mutually feed one another and feed other people too at the table with whatever is left over or, yeah. or feed other people with our surplus. Or we can create more by, by continuing to harvest this, this one particular goal together um, and then allow other people build more seats at the table due to the surplus that comes from that mutual harvesting. Um, and, and that's, that's another goal for the community, for, for, for the community that I'm attempting to build. Like, how can we get together? How can we survey the land and see what the needs are for the people that are there? And how can Mm. we plant seeds that can later grow into something fruitful that we can all partake in? Mm. Perfectly said, brother. Perfectly said. Um, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to leave it at that, man. Uh, you just, you just gave so much wisdom just on that. Typically what I like to ask is, is what would the, what would that little bit of wisdom, if there's somebody else out there that's gone through very similar things that you've gone through, right? What would that, what would that little bit of advice that you would give them to help them overcome that fear of starting and that fear of maybe reaching for um, their goals and their dreams? I think, um, the very important question for everybody when it comes to starting is what are you doing it for? Um, Cause everything in life is a fight. 
Um, if you get married, marriage is going to be a fight. If you uh, jump into a career, uh, that's going to be a fight. But usually people continue fighting if they feel like the, the, the end result is, is worth the headache or the suffering that the temporary suffering or headache that you'll have to go through in the meantime. Um, you, you, you fight for a relationship. Uh, if you feel like the person that you're in the relationship is worth, you know, being in that relationship with, even if there's an argument, uh, that's being happened over, you know, something silly, like who watched what Netflix show ahead of the other person. Um, or, or, you know, if, if you're, if you're at work and someone is eating the lunch that you're leaving in your fridge, like these minor, uh, minor, you know, issues um, become small in comparison to the greater goal. Yeah. Um, so when you look at things in terms of of, of that uh, that scope, like um, I can take these these momentary knocks um, because I know that at the end of the day, if I'm able to achieve this particular goal, all of these inconveniences would have been worth it to me. Um, focusing mainly on your goal and not necessarily what's directly in front of you um, will make starting uh, so much easier. Yeah. Mm. Keeping that why in perspective. Um, that's beautiful, man. Well, Omari, thank you so much for, spent, for spending some time with me today and, and sharing your story and sharing that your 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 path of from starting to even now with this incredible event that you have coming up um for everyone that that doesn't know or that needs more information what do they need to know about black design past present and future right now um as as the event is almost here uh it's completely free um there will be job opportunities for those who attend and register for the event and the career fair. Um, if you are an employer looking to diversify your field um, or your workspace, uh, registration for employers is April 5th. Um, we still have a few slots available for sponsors if you are interested in sponsoring. Um, you do not have to donate, but if you choose to donate, all the funds and, and proceeds from donations and sponsorships will go directly towards scholarships. Um, and you can find us at texasstate.edu backslash black design. Let's go. You heard it from him directly. Omari, you're the man. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. God bless you, brother. God bless you too, man. Thank you for having me.